0: Thanks again for joining me. This is Nathan. This is the Fathom with Nathan podcast. My intention for this podcast is to just uh, continue to share what God puts on my heart. And most of the time that's, you know, some kind of challenging word that um, helps us see a greater revelation of who he is, of his heart, of his intentions, of his motives, the pure essence, the actual essence of his nature. Um, Today's podcast is um, called The Greatest Tragedy, and um, I'm going to be reading quite a bit of scripture and piecing together some thoughts on my perspective on something that I've kind of transitioned in my theology over the years, and I think you'll see pretty quickly where I'm going with this as I read through some scriptures. Um, My main intention for this podcast is not to just challenge a a theory that most of christianity has had for a long time that's not my main intention my main my main intention is to get to the heart of of what god's heart is for humanity and to me the greatest tragedy of this universe is those that won't actually spend time with him those that actually won't be in his presence forever so, I just want you to hear my heart before I start dissecting some scripture here. It is not to... My primary goal is not to challenge the theological standing that a lot of Christians have on this issue, the subject I'm getting ready to address. Again, it's to highlight God's greater intention as to, you know, what I think is the greatest tragedy, which is not being in the presence of Christ forever. So, I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 3, and... uh this just happens to be the NIV version. I know that everyone has their opinion on which version is best. This is the one I just happen to be reading from today, and um, I'm going to read a few notes too. From this is from the Life Application Bible, and if you've never had a Life Application Bible, I found it very useful over the years. To, it's not perfect. I mean, no, tr- no, you know, notes are going to be perfect because notes are made by humans, right? Uh, commentaries made by humans, but it does help. Sometimes to have some notes that provide some insight to the historical context of what passages mean. Um, So, here we go. This is Matthew chapter 3. And this is... um, I'm going to start in... I'm going to start in verse 7. It's it's, it's verses 7 to 12, so it might seem a little long, but I'll piece it together here in a second. Okay, Matthew 3, 7 to 12. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. Verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his sweet into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I'm going to just read a couple um, words here from, from, from the Bible. Um, notes to the commentary here in this life application. This is a cons- concerning verse twelve. It says A winnowing fork is a pitchfork used to toss wheat in the air to separate wheat from chaff. The wheat is the part of the plant that is useful. The chaff is the worthless outer shell. Because it is useless, chaff is burned. Wheat, however, is gathered. Winnowing which is spelled W-I-N-N-O-W-I-N-G, is often used as a picture of God's judgment. Unrepentant people will be judged and discarded because they are worthless in doing God's work. Those who repent and believe will be saved and used by God. Okay, I wouldn't say that's a super amazing uh, commentary on there, but it gives you the idea that this what John the Baptist is talking about is he's saying... Jesus is coming. I'm not worthy to hardly do anything in his presence. But this is what's going to happen. He's going to come with the Holy Spirit and fire, which is the fire of God, his Holy Spirit power. But he's also going to be separating, both now and in the future, he's going to be separating what is considered wheat, which is good, those that turn to him, and chaff, those that will not turn to him. He's creating He's creating a... a Distinction. He's creating a separation. Okay, hold on to that thought. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 13. And this is Jesus talking about the parable of the weeds. There'll be one more main passage after this, but this is Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed, sowed weeds among the wheat. There's wheat again. And went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Verse 29. No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them up in bundles to be burned. There's the concept of being discarded and burned again, just like we saw in Matthew chapter 3. I'll read this again. First, collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So I'm going to read the commentary on this as well. Normally I don't read this much commentary, but it it kind of provides some context here. 1330, the commentary says, The young weeds and the young blades of wheat look like, look the same and can't be distinguished until they are grown and ready for harvest. Weeds, unbelievers, and wheat, believers, must live side by side in this world. God allows unbelievers to remain for a while, just as a farmer allows weeds to remain in his field so the surrounding wheat isn't uprooted with them. At the harvest, however, the weeds will be uprooted and thrown away. God's harvest judgment of all people is coming. We are to make ourselves ready by making sure that our faith is sincere. I'm going to continue on in the same chapter. Sometimes it just takes a little while to build this this theme. This is Matthew 13. Again, he explains this parable that I just read. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us this parable of the weeds in the the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is in the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, there's weeds again, just like it was said, weeds again in verses 24 to uh, 30. And then weeds are also parallel to chaff in in the same meaning for Matthew chapter 3. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to let them hear. Okay, it's getting pretty serious. Right? Okay, now I'm going to go to John chapter 15. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. This is my favorite passage. Out of all the scriptures and all the passages in the entire Bible, John 15 is my favorite, the entire chapter, not just this section, but okay. Here we go. John chapter 15 verses 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and a uh, as I also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me okay verse 5 I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you other translations say abide which is my preferred word if you remain in me and I I in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing that doesn't sound like the world does it verse 6 Now, verse six is also parallels what we read in John chapter. uh, Excuse me, when what what we read in Matthew chapter three and Matthew chapter thirteen. If this is verse six, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Then it continues on. This um, theme in Matthew 3, Matthew 13, and John 15 is pretty serious. Now, what I'm going to say is um, something I don't think I've ever kind of publicly explained before, but I I do not believe that unbelievers will suffer forever. Um, it's just not something that I think is compatible with God's character, with his nature, to see um the creation that he has created suffer for all of eternity. Even though I understand that there are many scriptural passages that could allude to eternal suffering in the sense of never-ending, I don't think that it would bring God glory for those things that he has created to suffer for eternal, uh, for an eternal. I mean, we're talking like, when we say eternal, we mean not just a few minutes, not just a few hours, a few days, or even even 50 years or 500 years or 5,500 years or 55,000 years or, you know, half a million years of suffering and burning and agonizing pain, writhing in pain and burning and screaming and torture. I I don't believe that God's nature would sustain that kind of activity for all of eternity. What I do believe is that a judgment will occur those that are chaff or those that are weeds will be separated from the righteous. They'll be separated because they're not the wheat, they're not the believers, and they will face their judgment, which will which will incorporate suffering. There's no escaping it. The scriptures say it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Every human will face judgment. There's the believer's judgment, there's the unbelievers judgment. It's spoken about in Revelation. But what I'm, what I'm alluding to is that I do not believe that eternal suffering is compatible with God's nature. His love and His mercy and His justice. Even human judges on earth don't create perpetual environments of perpetual suffering on those that are guilty. So if we're merciful, I'm wondering how much more merciful God would be to have them pay for their sins... In the sense that they receive the judgment of God. But after that, they will be gone forever. extinguished. Some people call that annihilation. Now, you're going to say, oh, you're an annihilationist. That's what, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Oh, that's what... Okay, let's, let's not jump into what we think other religions believe or don't believe and say that something's wrong in our Christian thinking or right in our Christian thinking just because... A cult says it exists or it doesn't. I mean, um, if we took that route of thinking, then we'd also have to say that, you know, because Muslims believe that there's one God, that Christians theology is wrong, that, that God is one. That's, that's just ridiculous. What I'm saying is there are a lot of passages that strongly indicate that when the chaff is separated, when the weeds are separated, will be burned when you burn something does it does it always burn will it always burn and if it's actually burning will it always continue to exist no now does god have that ability to do that i would assume so because he's god and he can do whatever he wants if we look at the universe he can create something that is uh it looks eternal in it's in 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 never ending in its distance um i i can see that theologically we might believe that that's the case but that's to me, that's not what the scriptures allude to. The scriptures allude to the judgment of God, the suffering that humans have to endure because of that judgment, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, as the scriptures describe it. But it also, in my opinion, describes something that is not forever. But that's not my main point. That's just setting up my main point. My main point is this. That the greatest tragedy of the universe is not that people go to hell and suffer or come under judgment. My greatest emphasis in this, in this, what I'm attempting, I don't even feel like I'm able to clearly communicate it as effectively as I feel it, is that the greatest tragedy is not that people die and go to hell. The greatest tragedy is that they will not be in the presence of Jesus forever. They will not experience the person of the of of Jesus forever. They will not experience the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit forever. They will not sense His presence once ever again. So the greatest tragedy is not judgment in hell. The greatest tragedy is that they won't experience the One who they could have always experienced. The greatest tragedy is the loss of relationship. It's the loss. It's the missing out on the abiding in the nature of God, coming and and being changed from glory to glory, being transformed in their understanding, getting closer to God for all eternity, getting closer to Jesus, understanding Him more, doing whatever He wants us to do for all all eternity, partaking of His divine nature, as the Scriptures say, which we can do now, before we die and after. So I say all that to say, yes, there is a judgment, yes, there is a hell, yes, there is suffering, but will it last forever? I'm okay being wrong, but I really don't believe so. And to me, the nature, like I said earlier, the nature of God does not, the nature the character of God does not support someone being in writhing agony and pain and torture for all of eternity. To me, that, that shows a very, uh, that, to me, that would paint God as a very evil and vindictive and unmerciful and unjust God. Now, can God do whatever he wants? Yes. Are there categories of things we may not, not understand that, that gives some space to that in, in theology? Yes. But if we look at the overall nature of God, Jesus even had mercy on those people on earth that would later turn against him. So if Jesus is the exact, as the scriptures say, the exact representation of the Father, what Jesus is doing is saying, look at me. I represent the Father. I represent the nature of God. I I can heal you right now. I can forgive you right now. I can, I can restore you right now. Because it was all with the hope and the longing of the Father that people would turn to Him for sake of relationship. Not for sake of righteousness alone. Not for sake of forgiveness alone. Because you can have forgiveness and be made righteous, but not have a relationship. God does not want... A relationship as i heard another minister say he can't have a relationship with the rocks and the mountains he can't have a relationship with the stars and the planets he doesn't have they, they will never have the indwelling of the presence of god we have been given this extremely amazing privilege to have the indwelling nature of god the holy spirit live in us and have actual relationship with the creator of the planets and the stars and the universe and the animals and the plants we have this amazing opportunity to have a relationship with God, and most people don't see that, don't see that, and they don't take Him up on it. And to me, that is the greatest tragedy of the universe: is those people that don't take God up on His offer. So I just want to leave that with you today. You can look over these passages. Another thing that that really helped me is to look at those same passages and look up all of the English translations of those passages. One version that I like, I'm going to see if I can find it real quick while I'm I'm doing this. Is uh, the Phillips version? This is how this is how the Phillips version says it. The axe already lies at the root of the tree, and the tree that fails to produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It is true that I baptize you with water as a sign of your repentance, but the one who follows me is far stronger than I am. Indeed, I am not fit to carry his shoes. He will baptize you with fire. Of the Holy Spirit, He comes already to separate the wheat from the chaff, and very thoroughly will He clear His threshing floor. The wheat He will collect into the granary, and the chaff He will burn with a fire that can never be put out. So, is the suffering eternal or is the fire eternal? And where does the fire come from? The fire comes from something that God creates, so God Himself produces the fire that causes this chaff to be burnt up it's actually in my opinion it's an act of mercy because of his justice we all have to come under his judgment but because of his mercy those of us that receive him come into eternal life into his eternal dwellings and those that don't receive him are distinguished they're they're sent into the fire they receive their judgment and then they're gone forever so I want to leave that with you today. I know that's heavy, but I want you to think about the perspective. Maybe as you go about your day, you think, does that person that I see, does this person that I see, does my coworker, does my family member, do they know God? Do they know Jesus? Do they Have have they taken God up on his opportunity to know him, or will they face judgment and be, and then be burned and never have that opportunity again? The greatest tragedy, in my opinion, is those that miss out on the relationship with God that has always been available to them. Thank you so much. This is Fathom with Nathan, and I appreciate you listening. Share this if you have found it edifying, encouraging, or helpful. Thank you.